0: let us pray for the word. Father, what do we say to these things? That if you be for us, who can be against us? You, Lord, who did not spare your own son, but delivered him up for us all, how could you also not through him freely give us all things? Lord, we come to worship you, and we've come to hear from your word. And so, Lord, I pray that my words would be none, and all the words would be from you. We pray, Lord, that As your word goes forth with power and by your spirit, that you would give everyone in here the ears to hear and that today would indeed be the day of salvation. We pray, Lord, that you open up everyone's heart in here and that for those who don't know you, they would not harden their hearts when they hear your voice. And we know, Lord, that you will that none shall perish, no, not one. And you stand at the door and you knock. And so, Lord, we pray that those would open that door when they hear your voice. And those of us, Lord, that are growing in a relationship with you, Lord, that we will be edified and encouraged today, rebuked if necessary, redirected if necessary. For we know, Lord, that your word is alive and it's active and it's sharper than a two-edged sword and it's breaking bone and marrow, piercing soul and spirit and discerning the thoughts and intentions of our heart. And Lord, we've come to meet with you today. And so, Lord, I beg, please show us your glory, your splendor, your majesty, so we can worship you and your word. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. We pray and the saints said, amen, amen. amen. So uh, we're gonna take a, a, a quick memory lane to the gospel because we gotta get context, right? Here we preach the text, we don't cheat the text, right? And so context is very important. The apostle John, John A, not John B. Uh, John B is uh, John the Baptist, all right? So just, you know, there's a lot of different names in the Bible, so I'm gonna pretend like you guys don't know, All right. So John the Apostle, who was one of the three closest apostles of the Lord Jesus, there was Peter, James, and John, the 12, the 70, and then the masses. These three were most intimate with the Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore, John knew him very, very well. And so John was originally known as one of the sons of thunder. He had an anger problem, right? Nobody in here can relate to that, right? Everybody has calmness and peace, right? But he had an anger problem, but as spending time with the Lord Jesus, he became very humble, Because that's what happens when you spend time with the Lord Jesus. His life was transformed. He became known, the apostle of love, right? And so John was the one who penned this gospel. And he was with Jesus in some of his most intimate moments. When Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane with the agony. When Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration. When Jesus raised uh, uh, Jairus' daughter from the dead. The apostle John was with him. And lastly, John was the last apostle at the cross. And Jesus said, mother, behold your son. And, and John, behold, your mother. And so he had a really, really close relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, at this time, when he's writing this epistle uh, of, of 1 John, he had already been exiled to Patmos Island. And he's well in years, and he had returned back, and he's overseeing churches in Ephesus. And back then, at that time, it was like a church hub where they would get missionary training. It was almost like a seminary. And so there was a lot of churches going on there, which means there was a lot of tr- truth going by. And as you guys know, wherever truth is, there's the opponents of truth that arrive. If you guys remember the apostle Paul, every time he went and planted a church, I mean, like right after he left, like the grievous wolves came in, not sparing the flock, every time. And so every time there's truth being told, you're going to have opponents of truth showing up, trying to snatch away what the Lord has planted. And so as John is writing this epistle, here's what's going on. There was what believed to be a false teaching of early Gnosticism. It's just a, a Greek word that means knowledge. And so what these teachers were doing is after these saints were saved by grace through faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ, they would come in and say, yes, salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus plus philosophy aka philosophy. And so they would add to the cross and they would say, Jesus and philosophy is the way you get to heaven, right? And we know that there is salvation in no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, right, saints? And that is the eternal truth. And truth, just like 2,000 years ago, hasn't really changed at all. And you know what? The environment really hasn't changed much either since Pontius Pilate stood before Jesus and questioned truth when truth was sitting right in front of him. And we're doing the same thing today is we're questioning truth when Jesus has been here all along. And so John writes, and here's Some of the reasons he's writing, because what was going on in Ephesus with the false teachers is people were claiming to be Christian and weren't living like Christians. What, Pastor Josh, that happens? Yes, that happens. Where does that happen? In the church. People walk around claiming Jesus, but don't reflect him to everyone. And that was what was going on. So he writes several reasons. And here's one of the main reasons he writes. First and foremost, that we may know that we have everlasting life. Jesus does not want us to falter back and forth. Am I saved? Am I not saved? I'm saved today, but then tomorrow I'm not saved. He wants you guys to have assurance that you are born again, that you are going to heaven. You're going to see him face to face. And he says, because I live, you will live also. Where I go, I go to prepare a place for you. He did not say that in vain. It was a promise, okay? And so that was one of the main reasons. Also, too, that we would have fellowship with God. Now, You guys remember last time, a long time ago, I was up here. But we, there's a difference between fellowship and relationship. And so we're regenerated, and we have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But fellowship is what we what we do. Relationship is what we have. Does that make sense? And so he he wrote so they would have fellowship. And it's a it's a Greek word that means koinonia, share and be partakers of. So we have our Agape feast. We're fellowshipping. That's koinonia. We're sharing. Jesus with one another. Secondly, that we may have joy, Jesus, others, yourself. And that's only found in the true biblical Jesus. I often ask people when they claim they say Christian and they they say, yeah, we believe in Jesus. I often ask, which one? The eternal God, Yahweh, God in the flesh, the God that always was and is and is to come? Because there's a lot of false truths going around that's saying he's not God in the flesh. And the Gnosticism was one of them. Thirdly, that we may not sin. Yes, we're going to talk about sin. Amen? Because the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so that has to be brought up. See, sin destroys relationships. It breaks fellowship with God, and it cripples the body of Christ. And a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And so John tells them that we may not sin. Fourthly, and last, that we may not be deceived there's a lot of deception going along. And what happens is the truth is the ultimate protection from the lie. Saints, whenever we're deceived, it's because we've forgotten about the truth. Whenever we've been deceived, it's because we haven't had enough truth in us. I like to tell people, if you want the word of God to stay in you, then stay in the word of God. Stay in the truth of what God's word says. That makes sense, saints? All right. So let's get into the word. So I tell the message, because you know the truth, abiding in the eternal truth while living in a world of lies. Can I ask you guys something? Is truth not being challenged today like none other? We have this whole uh, fiesta of truths. We have my truth. Well, that's kind of her truth over there. We have a truth over here. Like We're all just going to have a, a, uh, you know, a, a smorgasbord of truths. They can't all be true, right? That, that's not going to work. And so Jesus comes in and the essential truth is that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And the central truth is in the eternality of Jesus Christ. And so point number one, live every day in expectation of Jesus' return the last hour. Verse 18 in their Bibles. Verse 18, he says, Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come, by which we know that is the last hour. Now, this term, little children, doesn't mean little tiny kids and babies, but it is a term of endearment. It's a term uh, specifying particular spiritual maturity. John uses this term often, Jesus used it towards his disciples. The Apostle Paul used it towards those in which he had an affection for. And John is addressing those he's very, very fond of and in whom he cares about. See, those in whom we love, we want to protect. Those in whom we care about, we don't want them to walk in lies and deception. Because here's the bottom line, is every lie has a consequence. See, what we have, we've we've traded truth for opinion. We've traded truth for Preference. And even more so now, we've traded truth for genuineness. Well, I was genuine. Well, how genuine is it if you put a saltwater fish in fresh water? I was genuine, but there was a consequence, right? Well, how genuine is it if you're in your house and you someone you thought was a robber and ended up being somebody in your house? I was genuine, there was still a consequence. And so we've traded truth for all these other things and there's always a consequence. And so John is extremely concerned that all these false teachers that had come in were, were disrupting and redirecting the, the believers into a false gospel. And when he says the last hour, now, obviously, this is over 2,000 years ago. And so a lot of people are like, well, they've been saying that Jesus is coming back for 2,000 years now. We, we're 2,000 years, and he ain't coming back. And so many people will mock. So what that term means is it's a period of time. From the time Jesus first came until his second coming, that we are in what we call a crisis. And what that means is that we have a little bit of time to be about it for the Lord. We have a little bit of time till he comes back. And if it was true 2000 years ago, then it's all the more true today that each and every one of us, I want you guys to think about this. If we have the absolute truth of the gospel and we don't share it, who will? Think about that. We have the precious message of the cross Inside here, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, right? We have the truth of the cross right here, and a lot of us won't share it. And so, John is, is concerned that they're being led away by this false teaching of Jesus and Philosophy, aka philosophy, right? <laughs> and so, this means a certain definite time or season here, speaking of what we call the last days. For a better understanding and for note takers, Hebrews 1 and 2, an example. It says, in these last days, he has now spoken to us by his son. In Second Peter 3 and 3, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts. So the apostle John is speaking of a specific time to be on the lookout. He gives the readers a divine warning of the times they are in. And see, so saints, this is the purpose of prophecy. I remember when I first, no, I'll admit it. When I first started reading the Bible, Revelation, I stayed far away from that book. I was like, I'm not going there, right? Because I'm thinking, you, know, you know, all the wrath and all that stuff, like prophecy, I'm, I'm good. I'm going to stay in the gospel, so I'm going to hide there, right? But as I grew in an understanding and found out really what the purpose of prophecy is, it is to prepare us, not to scare us, right? And if you're scared, you ain't prepared, okay? And so the point of the matter is, is that, guess what? When he tells us something in advance, It's so you get ready, so that you prepare for it. I remember years ago, when I used to play football, before I went off to the university, I called the strength and conditioning coach. And I was like, hey, I need you to send me like all your workouts and everything that you guys do. Um, And he gave me the whole list and everything. And so I did that so I can come ready. I didn't want to go out there and get embarrassed and get hurt on the field and be out of shape. I did that so I can prepare. So when I got there, I was ready. And so constantly, you see the people... The ministers of the gospel, they constantly want to get you guys prepared for what is coming and equip the saints and send them out. And so he's telling them in advance, look, we're in a time where you guys got to be about it. You guys can't fall and get tossed to and fro from every little wind of doctrine. You need to be rooted and grounded in the truth of who Jesus is. Because the the main teaching of the Gnostics, it was an early form of Gnosticism. It was centered around the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ. One school of thought was, yes, he was a man, but he wasn't God. Another school of thought was, yes, he was God, but he wasn't truly man. He was basically a phantom when he walked through there, right? Does that sound like some of the false gospels around today? Sounds like maybe Jehovah's false witness. I mean, Jehovah's witness, right? Then there's Mormonism. Both of those are centered around the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you believe in a false Christ, you can't be saved. And so it's been said this. That if you're not zealous against a lie, then you're probably not zealous for the truth. Mm-hmm. All right, saints? So encouragement. So he says, look, back in ancient Israel, they heath, if they would have heeded the prophecies of Daniel in chapters 10 and 12, they would have been prepared for the 400 years of silence. For some of you who are not familiar, in the book of Daniel, chapters 10 through 12, Daniel's given a vision, and that gives literally pinpoint accuracy, of secular history and kings, to the point where the opponents of that said, oh, he wrote that 200 years after it happened. That's how accurate it was. And so many would say that that was a 400-year period of silence. Had they heeded the prophecy, God was always speaking. The Lord is always speaking to us. So in preparation, John uses this phrase, antichrist. And you guys have heard that before. And look, before I truly understand what it meant, I, I... I feel like every person that rose here in America in some type of influence was like, oh, that's the Antichrist. First it's the Pope, then it's Obama, then it's Biden, he's the Antichrist. Look, they may have the spirit of the Antichrist, but they are not the Antichrist, all right? It's important that we understand the accuracy of what the word of God is saying. But this term, Antichrist, it's used four times only by the Apostle John in all the New Testament, and it's described the adversaries Of the biblical Jesus. People don't have a problem with, mainly with God per se. It's the name of Jesus that scares people. It's the name of Jesus that people get upset about. They don't wanna hear that name because they know that is the name the demons tremble at. And so Jesus says, Marvel not when the world hates you, but it hated me first because I testify of the evil. And they rather walk in darkness. The word antichrist, for your note tapers, it literally means in place of Christ or against Christ. The spirit of the antichrist essentially is this, is putting a man in the place of God and his Christ. That is what it is. And you know, all these false truths that are going around, what is it? It's a man-centered gospel. It lowers Jesus to be less than God, and then it puts a, 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 some type of figure in the image of man instead of in the image of almighty God. This is idolatry, self-worship, humanism, the I feel movement, having my own truth. It's all anti-Jesus in place of. Other writers, such as the prophet Daniel, referred to this as Antichrist, the coming prince. Paul calls him the man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians 2.3. Also called the son of perdition, the man of sin, and the false prophet. All of these are referring to the same end times Antichrist figure. And it's important to understand that. 2 John 7, for your note takers for context. He says, for many deceivers has gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an Antichrist. Now, There is an antichrist figure in the end times if you look at Revelation and Daniel's prophecy talks about it. I'm not going to go deeply into that. But leading up into that, up from the beginning when Jesus first came until the end, there's going to be many, many, many antichrist figures that are under the spirit of the antichrist. And the thing is is that many of us can get caught up operating in that spirit. Because remember, I know when I was younger, I used to think of the devil. When you see like pictures of the devil, what is it, uh, pitchfork and horns, right? Oh, we know that's a picture of the devil. But that's not what the scriptures explain. It's more like they come with a halo and wings, dressing up as angels of light, masquerading as ministers of righteousness. Because at the end of the day, remember, it's not, they don't want you to know that it's not Jesus. They come, they dressed up so you can be deceived. Wolves in sheep clothing, per se, right? So John doesn't want his readers to be deceived. Yet saints... As we as believer are called in 1 John 4, 1 to test every spirit, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Two or three weeks ago, by God's grace, when I was traveling to uh, Colorado to do Chris and Carolyn's wedding, congratulations, newlyweds, praise God. um, I've been praying for a whole bunch of divine appointments, and this is all the Lord, we were traveling and we, I, it was on me. I, I wasn't looking at the gas gauge and we almost ran out of gas. And we're about 10, we had about 10 miles to go. I passed the last exit and it's eight miles away. So I had to turn around, all the kids were in the car. I turn around and we go into some small town, like super in the mountains, like in Utah and totally forgot I was even in Utah. And so I come and we go to a small town, about 300 people population, one gas pump. <laughs> and so we get there and I'm like, okay, let me just bring my card. You have the gospel on it. You know, so if I cast someone in here, I'm, you know, they're going to get it. All right. So I go in there. There's a young lady at the, no, an older lady actually at the cash register. And so we start talking and I ask, Hey, you go to church, you know, around here? I'm like small town, probably one church. And she says, no, no, I go to church, you know, 12, 12 miles down the road. And I've learned, I always ask like what church, like, you know, what Jesus? I said, Oh, are you, are you uh, I just got to the point. Are you evangelical Christian? No, no, LDS. Okay. Amen. For those of you who don't know, I was raised Mormon, Catholic high school, Lutheran elementary school. I, I'm the Mormon Catholic Baptist Christian. All right. Amen. <laughs> so I had my fair share of religion. So I go and I start talking to her and I said, Oh, interesting. I said, I was raised Mormon. I got my common ground. I knew my steps. And I said, I just have a question. So Isaiah 43:10 says that before you know God, before me, no God was formed. Neither will there be after me. I I am the Lord. And besides me, there is no other. I'm the first and the last. And I said, I'm just I'm just confused because Mormonism teaches that one, uh, Jesus is spiritual Satan and brother, spiritual brother of Satan. I go and two, you got, you know, your founder, Joseph Smith, said that, refuted that God was eternal. He said that we imagine and suppose that God was God from all eternity. I'll refute that idea and pull the veil from your eyes. We must learn to become gods ourselves. That's what Joseph Smith said. And so I said, Well, you know, God's revelation says that there is no other God, and you can't ever become your God, He's the first and the last. Can you help me understand that? She wasn't ready. She said, I don't know. I said, okay, let's go to the next one. So you say that Jesus Christ, (laughs) I'm gonna go down my steps. (laughs) So you said, Jesus Christ is the spiritual brother of Satan, but the Bible says in Colossians 1 that he's before all things, that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And she wasn't ready. And so I just encouraged, I said, ma'am, if you have, if I say I feel like, because you said you, you knew Mormonism was true because you feel like and you felt it. What if I feel like I, I just wanted? I feel like killing my wife. What would you tell me, right? Would you, where would you go to tell me that is wrong? The Bible or the Book of Mormon? She I probably go to the Book of Mormon? And so it was heartbreaking is that literally truth was presented to her. And because she was raised in Mormonism, the lie, she was, she couldn't get past it. Now, by the grace of God, as I'm talking, another gentleman comes in. So I said, I put her on hold. And I, and my daughters are right there. They're probably like, dad, come on. Like, we're in a small town. Like, this might be Texas Chainsaw Massacre, right? Um, and so the other guy comes in. And so I, I go to him. And, and mind you, I forgot I was in Utah. Totally forgot I'm in Mormon country. Totally forgot. And I said, hey, my brother, hey, how you doing? You know, I said, you go to church around here? So yeah, I go to right here. So you uh, evangelical Christian? He goes, no, LDS. Another one? I'm saying, wait, I'm in Utah. Okay. So I said, look. I was telling your sister here, she's LDS as well. Look, here's, here's my concern. I used to be Mormon. I get it. Here's my concern. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 3 how to test a prophet. And I told him. It says that if this prophet leads you after another God, do not fear him. He shall be stoned. And the Deuteronomy 18, it tells us how to test a prophet that if he makes a prophecy and it doesn't come true, then he has not heard from the Lord. Do not fear him. And he said, you know what? You're right. And I said, let me ask you guys this, both of you, because she was... And my daughter, I didn't know, but my daughter said she was locked in because guess what? Truth had showed up. The spirit had showed up and truth was in the building now. And my daughter said she was focused. And as I was talking to him, I said, let me ask you guys this. You guys were born into Mormonism, weren't you? They said, yes, that's all we know. And I said, look, I'm not here by accident. I drove past this and I almost ran out of gas. And you guys are the closest ones here. The Lord sent me here to bring truth to you guys. And I want to let you guys know that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life And no one gets to the father but by him. Joseph's revelation was false. Everything he said was a lie. Jesus shows up. He's the embodiment of truth. And I want to encourage you guys. Don't just take my word for it. Search it yourself. And that man was locked in on truth. And he said, thank you for letting me know that. But all that to say this is that many people are going to hear the truth and many people are going to be deceived. And if we care enough about people, we'll tell them the truth. Does that make sense? And guess what? The truth, the Holy Spirit, gives you boldness. The Holy Spirit gives you the truth. That's why it's called the spirit of truth. Does that make sense? Amen. Amen. One thing you have to understand, too, about the Antichrist, he's not anti-religion. He's Antichrist. And so what happens is the Antichrist is going to come in the vehicle of religion, and that's how he's able to deceive the masses. On your outline, those who are truly born again are kept by Jesus. He says, still in verse 18, he says, as you have heard, meaning from the Olivet Discourse, when Jesus told him that many will come in my name, for many will come and saying, I am the Christ, deceiving many, do not be deceived. The false apostles, they transformed themselves into angels of light, like I said, and ministers of righteousness, but their end will be according to their work. 2 Corinthians 11. I like this distinction where it says Antichrist is mentioned. It correlates they and them. They and them. They and them is mentioned seven times in verse 19 alone. Us is mentioned five times in verse 19. Verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. This is the case of they versus us. Here's what it says about they. Went out from us, were not of us. By them going out from us, they made it clear they were not of us. Because they didn't continue with us, none of them were of us. The key phrase here is, Continued. See, saints. What happens is, the spirit of the antichrist—they come from the church. They come out of the assembly of the saints because their goal is to deceive the many and draw them away. Joseph Smith grew up in the faith. All these false teachers—they grew up in the faith, and what happened was, they came in and deceived the many, and went and had their own gospel. When I was talking to the lady in the store, and I said, "I look, I know you guys. I know you don't believe in the inerrancy of Scripture." that you believe as it's translated correctly, right? She says, oh, no, no, it's just another testimony. I said, no, no, it's another gospel. It's not the truth of God's word. And so God's word is true, and every man is a liar. In context here, saints, when it says they, it's referring to the Gnostic teachers, that they were in the church, they had participated in Christian baptism, that's why baptism doesn't save you. They were praying with the saints, they were doing all the Christian activities, again, religion, yet they didn't have true fruit of salvation. It reminds me of the parable of sowers. And look, if you guys are coming to your first time here, look, we love you. I want you to be here. Coming to church doesn't save you, but it's good to come to church, right? These are all what I like to call heavenly activities. When you go to heaven, you'll be talking to God. That's prayer. When you go to heaven, you'll be worshiping him in spirit and truth. When we go to heaven, we're going to fellowship with one another. So church is good to come. But just because you come to church doesn't mean you're saved, even more than being in the water makes you a fish, right? Even more being in the garage makes you a car. The Bible says you must be born again, right? Uh, old, old school preacher, uh, Whitfield, there's a lady who uh, stayed after his, saw a lot of his sermons, and she came up afterwards like, look, how come every time you preach, all you say is you must be born again? You must be born again. And then he, she said, why don't you preach anything else? And he said, "Ma'am, because you must be born again. (laughs) And that's just the truth of the gospel is guess what? Faith alone saves, but a faith that saves is never alone. See the root of salvation, the source is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the fruit of salvation is holiness, right? See, holiness is the visible side of salvation. And so if there isn't any holiness, then that person really isn't assured. And this is again, pointing to the character of the Gnostics. See, these wolves in sheep's clothing did not remain in the church. They went out, started their own clique, their own posse, their clue, their crew, their cult. It's been said that one of the hardest things to do in the world is to attempt to live a Christian life and meet the obligations of a Christian when you have no Christian life to live. It would be like a beast of the field going and trying to live in a mansion, as a human being living the life of a millionaire, so is an ungenerated sinner trying to live a life of a Christian. See, saints, without the Holy Spirit, we can't do any of this. See, Jesus says that as a a branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine, well, neither can you unless you abide in him. And so John is making it very clear that there's them, and then there's you, and that them are not you, and you are not them. Because you have the truth, and that truth is the biblical Jesus. See, saints, those who are truly born again are kept by Jesus. John 10, 28, where he says, My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. And they have a two fisted promise that they're in my hand, and my hand's in the Father's hand, and they shall, my Father and I are one. Be on your outline. Antichrist will come in the vehicle of religion, not anti-religion, but antichrist. Saints, we have to guard ourselves against religion. Look, I love coming to church. I love praying. I love reading the word of God, but I love having a relationship with Jesus more. And my relationship is not bound up in those activities. That's just a part of my relationship with the Lord. And so I encourage you guys, don't get caught up in the vehicle of religion. Amen? Okay. Verse 20. I'm going to speed it up here, or I'm going to try to at least. Amen. (laughs) It's good stuff. Verse 20. But, that good word but, okay, switching gears. You have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Let me cut up my notes real quick. Point two in the outline. The gift of the Holy Spirit guides us to all truth about Jesus. Do not be deceived. When he says, but, he's saying, you have, but they don't. You have an anointing from the Holy One. The Holy Spirit lives inside of every believer. Now, look. People throw this word anointing around, like running in the mud, I'm anointed, I have all that guy's anointed, yada, 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 right? Look, everyone in the the family of God is anointed with the Holy Spirit, all right? It's a matter of who's going to walk in it and who's not. So this whole thing, well, that man's anointed, that man, good for them, all right? How holy do they live when they come down from that? How much do they love the brethren, right? Because Jesus said, you'll know you're my disciple, not by your anointing, but by your love. You have one for another. But this word anointing, it's a Greek word, krisma. It means a smearing upon figuratively the special endowment of the Holy Spirit. And so it signifies an anointing which has been experienced, a communication and reception of the Spirit. And so it's an illusion of the anointing and consecration of the kings and priests of the Old Testament. What would happen was the anointing of the oil of laying on of hands, they were laterally anointed with oil to perform a specific task. So when they would lay their hands on the priests in the Old Testament and the kings, like King David, they would anoint them and then equip them to do a specific task. And so he's saying, essentially, you have an anointing from the Holy One so you can discern truth from error. See, the true born-again Christian can't remain in a, in, a, in a cult or a lie for very long. It's only a matter of time before the Holy Spirit is gonna, is gonna prickle that person and they're gonna realize, yo, this is not like, this is not truth at all. You know, I had a true example from I, when, I came to the, when I came here from the church I was in, I actually started reading the scriptures and the Lord started, you know, started to have understanding and to fill with the Holy Spirit. I believe for the first time in my late twenties, I wasted 27 years. Um, and I was in a church and as I started reading the Bible, like the Holy Spirit was just pulling me to get up out of here. You need to leave. But I didn't understand why, but I just knew it wasn't right. And so as the, Continue to walk in truth. I ended up here, (laughs) Amen. I ended up here where the Word of God was being taught, the fullness of God's Word. But that was that anointing that that He's talking about. Now, granted, the level is different because of the understanding. Let me give you guys an example. When a baby is born, they have all their faculties. They have their eyes. They have their ears. They have their hands. They have their feet. Now, the difference between you and a baby is you guys are fully developed, and the baby is not. And so every born-again believer has the faculties, and then as they walk in truth, as they grow in the grace and knowledge of the Savior, they see more clearly. Their bones get strong. They're able to walk. They're able to mount up like eagle's wings, right? They're able to run and not grow weary and walk and not grow faint because they're growing and they're maturing in the Lord. And so as that anointing he's talking about, you're going to grow in more and more discernment as you abide in the Word of God. Does that make sense? So he tells them, you have this anointing, and it really means that we're ordained for discernment. An example for context, note takers, Exodus 40 and 15. It says, you shall anoint them as you anointed their father, and they may minister to me as a priest, for the anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood throughout their generations. And when he says the Holy One, we know that's the Holy Spirit, okay? It's distinct, it's exclusive. It stands alone by himself and no other. Now that phrase, you know all things, obviously it doesn't mean we know everything, right? If we knew everything, we wouldn't need Jesus. But when he says, you know all things, what it means is you have access to the person who does. You know, the Bible says, draw near unto me and I will draw near unto you. When you have a problem with discernment, you're probably not abiding in the vine. When you have a problem with discernment, you're probably not filled with the Holy Spirit. You may have the dwelling of the Spirit, but we get filled with the Spirit by going in the mountain like Moses, right? When he came down, he was shining. Had to put a veil over his face. I'll tell you this, the people that spend the most time with the Lord, you know it. And right now, some people are probably coming to your guys' minds. Oh, I know that because you can tell. It's a shining and a glow that everyone can see. It's been said that a Christian can see more on his knees Then the worldling can see on their tiptoes. And so, Christians, we must abide in Christ. And the Holy Spirit can guide us to all truth about who Jesus is and not be deceived. Remember, the Gnostic teachers, they didn't have the correct biblical Jesus, they didn't have true salvation, they didn't pass the tests that John is giving. The first test he gives is obedience. Jesus says, If you love me, what? Obey my commands next test was love. Do you love the brethren? You have a lot of, a lot of people who claim to know the word of God. No love for the brethren. Don't want to be around people, right? None. That's not a fruit, a genuine fruit of salvation. The third test is the one today. Truth. Truth. Who is Jesus? It does not say you and they, but you have this anointing. We must know what we have and who it is from. For context, John 14, 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring into remembrance all the things I have said to you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Saints, are we walking in the Spirit? You know, Galatians 5 tells us that we should walk in the Spirit so we don't gratify the desires of our flesh. A lot of us are lacking true spiritual maturity because we're lacking true spiritual discipline. A lot of us are abiding in self and not in Christ. And I'm not here to condemn everyone, but beloved saints, I warn you, abiding in Jesus is better. You know, the spirit of the antichrist is also laziness, right? In place of what it does, here's what it does. It presents to you two options, and it's always to present something that looks better than Jesus, that there's something better than Jesus, remember in the garden, what'd he say? Well, God didn't say that. He he wants you to be like him and be a God, right? He didn't say that. He said you couldn't eat that tree. They had plenty of everything. Just the one tree was not all those trees enough. He didn't have to give them nine trees. I mean, but he gave them all those trees except the one. So what did Satan do? Well, it's not enough. This one tree is better. And that's the spirit of the Antichrist, that there's something better or in place of Jesus, the first evidence that we're walking in the spirit is the fear of God, meaning we make it our aim to live a life pleasing to him and not disappoint him. He says in verse 21, I've not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and no lie is of the truth. This is why I titled the message because you know the truth, because you know the truth. And so here's what he says. You've been saved, you've been born again, and the lie is starting to come in. That's what happens. I remember Paul was petrified. I think it was Acts 20. He says, I I fear because after I leave, grievous wolves are going to come in not sparing the flock. He said in 2 Corinthians 11, this is early first century, Galatians 1, 2 Corinthians 11. He says, someone's going to come and preach you another gospel that you have not received and you might fall for it. He was petrified. Another spirit, another Jesus. Saints, we have to be In the truth, he says, you know it ever since Jesus day and the way before the truth of God's word has been under attack. Like I said before, if we who have the truth, don't declare it and protect it, who will? Pontius Pilate stood right in the face of truth and said, what is truth? Here's some truth. Jesus is God incarnate. He's the almighty. The first and the last, the wonderful counselor, the alpha and omega, the creator of all things, the holy one, Emmanuel, God with us, the good shepherd, the bread of life, the light of the world, the living water, the door, the way, the truth, and the life. He's the resurrection. He's the Lord of glory. He's the amen, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and there is salvation in no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That is the truth. Ladies and gentlemen, my saints, Jesus is the eternal God. He has always existed. He's the second person of the Trinity. He became flesh and dwelt among us. And John said, and probably as he wrote it, he was in tears, that we beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Because the law was given to Moses, but grace and truth comes through Jesus. And we all need grace and truth. Truth up. See, anything other than Jesus cannot save. Example for context, 2 Peter 1 and 12. Peter says, for this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Saints, as a minister of the gospel, I can't give you guys anything new. Look, Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun, right? Right? It may have been something you've never heard, but it's not new, all right? And if it's new, it's probably not true. But look, my goal as a minister of the gospel is to keep you guys grounded and rooted in truth. See, this is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. And so I'm here today to keep you guys anchored in that which you have first believed that Christ died on the cross according to the scriptures, that he was dead and buried in the grave according to the scriptures. And that on the third day, he rose again according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas and the 12 and the 500 brethren at once. And then last of all, he appeared to the apostle Paul and he's living inside each and every one of us. We have to hold on to that truth because you know it. That no word is different from the one he used before. This is one that simply references intuition. You know, how many guys know like certain things you just don't know, but you know, I'm not doing that. Certain things, you, you, you can't really put your finger on it, but you're like, mm, no. Or, yes, this is what he's talking about. That comes from the Holy Spirit. Some will call it my gut, or, you know, I have this feeling, you know. And some, you know, I think, I think moms just have, like, super discernment. Moms know everything. Like, my mom just, I, I don't want you to be right, but you are, right? It's just that intuition. And he says that is what you do when you know the truth. And, of course, no lie is of the truth. We know that no counsel, no wisdom, no instruction can stand against the truth of God's word. See, the lie spoken of in context is the lie concerning the identity and nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. You notice know, this is all centered around Jesus. You know, people don't, don't swear on any other name other than God and Jesus. Why is that? Right? Jesus says, the world hated me because I testify of his works that they're evil. And that this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light. Regarding a lie, it's been said that a lie will travel halfway around the world while the truth is still putting his shoes on. (laughs) The biggest lies have the most amount of truth in them. I like to say the truth is like a boomerang. No matter how far you throw it, it always comes back around. And that's why I tell you guys, look, the truth hasn't changed. You need no shelf life. It's been said that a lie hates being questioned and a truth doesn't mind being challenged. And that's why the cults, and I'll tell you, I've been, I've had a few months ago, I had, um, and I don't know, I guess the Mormons just find me. So I'll tell you this, they are excellent record keepers. So when I, I was baptized Mormon way, like I was eight years old. So they knew, they like follow you around. When I went to university in South Dakota, they found me out there. It's like, hey, we saw your name on the, on the wrist. I'm like, man, I haven't been a Mormon in years. Like, you know, and that was back in 2010, a couple a little bit, uh, maybe like five or six months ago, they showed up at my house. Dude has mask on and everything. Like knocked on my doorbell, and i will be honest, I was yelling at my kids at that point. But I gave him grace when I found out who it was. So I came. I said, "Hey, you know, is uh, uh, Joshua Camper Liver? Yeah, man. Like, how'd you like? How'd you get in the gate? How the gated community? How'd you get in the gate?" He's like, hey, "I'm just. I, I saw your name on the registry with the, the Latter Day Saints." I'm like, "Oh, okay, all right. Here we go again." I said, "Look, man. I'm just gonna be honest with you, bro. Look, you're not gonna be your own God." And uh, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by him. He's like, hey, no, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't want any problems. No, I can take your name off. I said, nope, don't take my name off. Send the next one. I'm clearing out your whole region. Bring them all here. <laughs> Bring them all here, every single one of them. So send somebody else, and I'm going to tell him the truth when he comes too. But this is what it is, is my heart is broken for them, is that, look, they don't have the true Jesus. They don't. And look, if we love them enough, we're going to tell them, look, Christ has come to seek and save that which is lost. Saints, we need to be on guard against the lies of the enemy. Here's the issue, though. We're not regularly in the word of God in prayer. And when we're not, we're a prey to Satan's schemes and devices. I could tell people, look, you need to make sure Satan has a mountaintop of scripture to climb over to get to you. The problem is, is he just has to go over a molehill for most of us. Is he just steamrolls through John 3, 16, and the next thing you know, you're, you're gone, right? You, you fall to the lies of the enemy, and typically, the lies have to do with either who you are, your identity in Christ, and the lies will come in many shapes, sizes, and forms. The lie shows no partiality, right? But neither does the truth. And so, we don't need on the outline. We don't need any new truths because the truth is in Jesus. Have you guys have heard half a lie? I mean, half a truth is an entire lie. I tell the through this, and you guys have heard me say it before. If I made you guys some cookies and brownies, put all them nice ingredients in it. But I said, look, uh, my, my my cat Fifi put a little bit of dog, you know feces in there. Ten percent, ninety percent good good ingredient though. I got I got all that good stuff. Whatever you like, it's in there. But my cat, I got a little bit from the cat litter. I put it in there, right? Who's eating it? Yes. Nobody, not a soul, right? Well, that's what happens when you mix the truth with a little bit of a lie. It's contamination, right? I'm I don't want that gospel. I want the true, pure gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what helps me. The word of God says to cast down every vain imagination, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring every thought into captivity and obedience to Christ. You know, Satan's lies have to enter your mind in order for you to believe it. And guess what? A lot of us don't guard our hearts. A lot of us are watching all types of different things. Youth playing all types of different video games or messed up. Sorry, guys. Playing all types of different video games and things that don't glorify the Lord. And so while you're doing that, you're like David when he wasn't at war. I'm chilling. I have no wars to fight. All my men are out there. And then guess what? He fell prey to Satan's deception. See, saints, we have to be on guard against these things. And if you haven't treasured the word of God in your heart that you may not sin against him, then that's how you fall prey to the enemy. So the gift of the Holy Spirit guides us to all truth. We do not need to be deceived. Point three, we need to boldly profess and reflect Jesus as Lord. Verse 22. says most of the problem is a lot of us profess Christ, but don't reflect him. And so I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. And we look at the life, you're a what? I'm not sure. I don't know what you are, right? So we need to reflect Christ. And that is only by being filled with his spirit. So verse 22. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So John just plainly states the Gnostics are liars because they deny the deity of Jesus Christ. Some Gnostic teachings denied that Jesus was God, other teachings denied that Jesus came in the flesh. As a man, John points out that any individual who denies the Son does not have the Father. Also, it is a combo. You get one, you get the other. You deny one, you deny the other. Jesus says, "My Father and I are one." Notice many people though will say, "I really don't have a beef with God," but Jesus said He was a you know He was a good guy, right? He was a He was a good prophet. He did a lot of good things. He had a lot of great teachings. But I like that like C.S. Lewis says He's either a liar a lunatic, or he's Lord. He has not given you any other option, right? If you say he's just a good man, well, how many times can a good man lie? Because he said he was God. He boldly said, unless you believe that I am, Ego Ami, the Alpha and Omega, Jehovah Jireh, unless you believe that you will die in your sins. Belief and behavior are married to one another. And therefore, what belief brought together, let not bad behavior separate. Truth? Like that good stuff, huh? Amen. <laughs> in this passage, we see the unity between the Father and the Son. Jesus said in John 10 that I and the Father are one. We're united. And when he prayed in John 17, he says that I pray that they, us, would be one as I, me and you, the Father, are one. For context, note takers, John 8:44. Jesus said regarding the religious leaders that they claim to know the father, but they denied the son. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not abide in truth because there's no truth in him. True story. Literally yesterday, I was, my, I was dropping my brother off, and there was an alley. And it's kind of where a lot of transients hang around, a lot of people are on drugs, and um, you know, a lot of religious people and I was dropping him off and I was just in the car and a guy just randomly came up and he said, you're, you must be a Baptist. Why do you support this place right here? So, well, actually I'm an evangelical Christian, so I'm not Baptist. He goes, you're not a Roman Catholic like me. You're absolutely right. I'm not. And he went on this tangent. Oh, you guys think you're this. And, and, this. and my brother asked him, you think he's going to let you talk? I said, he's probably not. And so he just continued to go for about five minutes. And I just said this. I said, who do you say Jesus is? Just like that. He said he's a secondary name, and this man went belligerent. He started hitting himself. He started. Oh, I'm, gonna, I'm Are you gonna hit me? Are you you, you? you look like Samson. Are you gonna hit me? Like you're all strong like Samson, and he lost it. No, no. I'm like, and part of him was like, oh man, Samson was strong, you know. And and I've been in the gym lately, so I'm like, he must see, you know, he sees my frame in the car, right? But he went belligerent, but he ran. He ran when he heard the name of Jesus. This man went belligerent, took one step toward me, and literally ran the other direction. You guys my brother. True story. I kid you not. I stayed calm the whole time. Pardon was like, am I have to run this guy over? Like, I, don't, I mean, I don't know what I'm going to do. But the truth of the matter was, his discernment came in and said, you need to tell this man about Jesus. And as soon as I said, Jesus, the power and authority that came from that name, he fled. But he asked, are you going to beat me up? You guys remember that passage in scripture where Jesus came on the scene? They said, are you here to torment us before our time? He knew the spirit was in me and he felt the authority because he was under demonic. He was under demonic oppression. There's no doubt about it, but he heard the name of Jesus and he fled, literally fled. You could ask my brother, talk to him after service. I can't make this stuff up, but it's the name of Jesus, the Holy Spirit. We have the truth inside of us. Look, saints, it's not enough to claim Jesus privately. There needs to be a public confession of who he is evidenced by a spirit-filled life. At the end of the day, ask yourself, would someone want to trade places with you on judgment day? Would someone say, you know what? That, That man's faith, that woman's faith is so strong, I'll trade places with them." Some people have people in mind that you would not trade places with, and I hope that person's not you. So here's the exhortation. We need to boldly profess And reflect Jesus as Lord. Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. The Father and Son are one. Anyone who rejects Jesus rejects God the Father also. That word acknowledge, it means agrees with, promise to not deny, declare, and admit. I mean, so many people say, no, we worship the same God. Like, we, you know, we're all good, man. You know, you worship over there. I worship over here. I do this. I do that. The truth is exclusive. And the gospel is offensive. That's why it doesn't need your help by you being rude, right? You just deliver the word, (laughs) let it do its work. It's a a sharp sword. So I don't want to put pressure on the sword. I'm just going to draw and let it do its work. But the gospel is offensive. And we know we have that. But so many people say, you know, we have the same God. When I was talking to that Mormon lady, I said, look, she's all, well, you know, you, you, you believe the way you believe, And then I believe the way I believe. I said, well, what do you say about the Muslim? What do you say about the Hindu? Can they believe what they believe? Because your religion says that all the abomination, all the creeds of the other religions are abominations. She's, oh, yeah, you're right about that. And so (laughs) to avoid truth, right? Truth is so powerful that non-believers spends their life suppressing it, but the believer spends their life trying to live it. That's how powerful truth is. And we have the truth But it needs to be lived out in our lives. Truth up, amen. We need to boldly profess it. Another example: When I was on my way to Colorado again, thank you, Chris and Carolyn. Praise God. Um, I always pray for divine appointments, and somehow somebody at my work signed up for some loan thing. And I had—I kid you not—at least fifty to sixty telemarketing calls for some loan for for the business I worked for. And I just kept ignore, 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 ignore. And I got convicted. I was like, I need to tell these telemarketers about Jesus. And I said, the next one calls, they're getting the gospel. Yes, my kids. They're like, Daddy, you're crazy. What's wrong with you? And so next, you know, picks up. Sure enough, she's like, Hey, uh, Cleo. I said, No, this ain't Cleo, right? Okay, this is Josh. She's like, Hey, yeah, I want, I want to discuss uh, the terms of the loan. I said, We're not doing that. I got some terms for you. Okay, where are you gonna spend eternity? And she was like, I was like, Hello, like still there? You know. <laughs> She's like, yeah, yeah, I I hear you. What do you mean by that? I said, everyone's going to die one day. The Bible says time and chance happens to us all, that it's appointed for a man to die once and afterwards is the judgment, and that death is the king of terrors and Jesus is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. And I said, where are you going to spend eternity? Heaven or hell, which one? And she was silent. I'm I'm still waiting. I'm like, she's going to hang up on me soon. She asked, she's not going to endure this. There's no way. She endured it. And she said, well, 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 I, I, I think, you know, like, I've, I've done enough good things that, you know, I, I think I would go to heaven. I said, try that in a court of law that you go there and you passed, you did all the stop signs, but you passed the red light. Hey, judge, judge, I, I stopped at all the stop signs, but you're here for the red light. See so you break one and you keep all the rest. You break them all because it's one lawgiver. And I'm telling her this and she's listening. And I'm like, oh, Man, what? okay, all right. And I'm driving. I got Bluetooth. I wasn't, I wasn't breaking the law, all right. So I'm driving. My kids are listening, and I'm telling. I said, "Look, ma'am, you have violated God's law. You need Christ's forgiveness. I've called you to bring to you good news that God is rich in mercy, and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us." And she was like, "What do I do?" Like when Peter, like, "What must I do to be saved?" I said, "I'm glad you asked." Here's what you do. The Bible says in Romans ten nine that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. I said, do you confess that you're a sinner? Lives stolen, you know, uh, irrespective of value, stolen anything? Yeah, I, I've done all this. That means you've fallen short. And guess what? Christ has come to reconcile you. And I'm bringing you that truth right now. I said, can I pray for you? Do you agree that you're a sinner? No, yes, I do. I have. I've done all those things do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins? She said, yes, I I do. I do. I said, let me pray for you. The Bible says that if you confess, and it's a true confession, that the angels are celebrating in heaven, and that you're saved, and you're going to see Jesus face to face. Praise God. Hallelujah. And I know this call is recorded, and whoever listens to it, I hope they get saved too, right? (laughs) (laughs) And so I prayed for her, and she received the gospel. And I said, here's what you do. I go, you got a Bible at home? She said, yes, I do. I said, go read the gospel of John. And you can hear her writing this down. Like, you hear the pen and everything moving, writing this down in there. But that's all because I was convicted. I had 50 calls. I said, you know what? From this point forward, everybody's getting the work. They're getting the gospel. And my kids are looking at me like, Daddy, what's wrong with you? You know, like, and I know they get tired of hearing it, but this is what it is. How can I hold it inside? It's like shut up in my bones. I can't hold it in. The gospel is so good. Amen. All right, we're gonna, okay, I gotta speed up. Anyway, uh, (laughs) point number four, (laughs) allow the truth of God's word to dominate our lives. Verse 24 in the script. Therefore, let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the son and in the father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. I love this. So abide is one of John's favorite words. He uses it over 16 times. He has it five times just in this little section of scripture alone. And so he says, in the light of the lies of the false teachers, let that which you heard from the beginning remain. What they heard from the beginning was the simplicity that is in Christ. What false gospels do is they complicate the simplicity of the message Every day I sit here and tell you that the truth is that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. My theology in three words Jesus died for me. That is what he says hold on to, cling tight to that. This means to remain, to not depart, to be held, kept continually, and not to perish. This is extremely powerful. John's exhortation to his readers is to be kept by the word of God, to never let it depart and remain in it. This means the word of God, the truth of the gospel, must be a part of the believer. It can't just be an accessory. It can't just be jewelry that you put on and take off. It can't just be a belt. It needs to be a very part of you. Paul said, I no longer live. Christ lives in me. Therefore, I now live for him who died for me and rose again. Is that a part of our lives, saints? On your outline, treasure his word over our necessary food. One of my favorites, Psalm 119.11, I've hidden thy word inside my heart that I may not sin against you. When Jesus was testing the wilderness, he was abiding in truth. When Potiphar's wife attempted to seduce Joseph, he was abiding in truth. The Bible says, flee youthful lust. That's why we fight Goliath, but we run from Potiphar's wife. Amen? We run from that. But that is abiding in truth. For context, I delight to do thy will, O God, that law is within my heart, Psalms 40 and 8. Saints, are we abiding in the vine? Do we delight in the word of God over our necessary food? How much time do we devote to spending intimacy with the Lord? I heard a pastor say it one time. He said, look, whatever you don't value, you minimize. What are the most important things to you? When you stand before God one day, and you will, and there's going to be two books opened, and we're all going to give an account, and you're going to hear one of two things to start off with. Either, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord, or depart from me. I never knew you. I never had a relationship with you. And this is why the believer is called to what? Examine yourself to see if you are still in the faith. Many of us allow distractions, cares of this world, anxiety, the world to deter us away from an intimate fellowship and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We must remember our very heart and being is to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that all these things may be added unto us. Verse 25, he says, the promise we have is eternal life. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You guys know we're going to heaven? You guys understand that? We should have heaven in our mind and our mind on heaven. And if you ever forget your heaven bound, you will be earth stuck. All right? I'm not trying to be earth stuck. I want to set my effects on the things that are above, not here on earth. Last point. I'll finish it quickly. 26 and 27. Obedience to the Holy Spirit protects us from being deceived. But the anointing, again, we know what that means which you receive from him abides in you and you do not need that anyone teach you the Gnostics, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things. Sorry, I lost my place. Okay, there we go. Comma concerning all things and is true and is not a lie. And just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. The Gnostics deceive and they use the same language about Jesus, but meant different things. This is why it's important, saints, to always define terms. People get mad at me. What, Jesus? Why do you say that? Because there's a lot of false Jesus going around. What do you mean by forgiveness? What do you mean by redemption? What do you mean by salvation? What does that mean? Because we define everything according to the word of God. This is our ultimate measuring stick, is what does the scripture say? Bible, Paul says, God be true and every man be a liar. I want to hear what God says. I test every revelation by the eternality of God's word. The enemy is the great deceiver. We see this in the garden, Adam and Eve. His goal is to to cause the child of God to doubt the word of God and believe that there is actually something out there better than Jesus. And there's not. Ask Solomon. He tried it. He said, grasping for the wind. Vanity, vanity saved the preacher's. I had all the money, all the women, all the gold, all the wisdom, and had all the emptiness. Because Jesus told the woman at the well, if you drink from this water, you will thirst again. And so it is the Holy Spirit, obedience, that protects us from deception. Saints, we're not to depend on any human wisdom or philosophy, a.k.a. philosophy, right? 1 Corinthians 2.4 says, and my speech and preaching was not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power that your faith should not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. And so obedience to the Holy Spirit protects us from being deceived, put on the full armor of God. In conclusion, and we'll come into a time of, of communion, because you know the truth, how do we abide, abiding in the eternal truth by living in a world full of lies, First, we have to live every day like it's the last. Jesus says, all those who love is appearing. The gift of the Holy Spirit is ultimate truth test. We need to be boldly profess and reflect Jesus as Lord. We need to allow the truth of God's word to dominate our lives, not philosophy, not all this other stuff that the world's offering. And obedience to the Holy Spirit protects us from being deceived. Now, as we transition into a time of communion, I want to say this. You know, communion is for believers. Um... It's for those who have confessed Christ as Lord and surrendered their life to the Lord. And look, I know everyone here may not be saved. They may not truly know the Lord. But here's what the gospel says. That the Son of Man has not come to condemn, but to save. But the scripture says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all means all. Every single person has fallen short of the glory of God. And it says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so Jesus does not want anyone to perish. And so he says, if you confess me before man, I will confess you before my father. But if you deny me before man, I will deny you before my father and the holy angels. And so right now I wanna give anyone an opportunity to confess Christ as Lord if you have not done that already and you could take communion with us. Because guess what? Time and chance happens to us all. Our life is but a vapor. You're here today and you're gone tomorrow. Tomorrow's not promised. The enemy wants to tell you you have more time. But the Bible says, tomorrow may not come. He says, harden not your hearts if you hear his voice. And so he's knocking on the door of your hearts right now that if you have not confessed Christ as Lord, please, this is now the opportunity. Is there anyone in here now who wants to make a profession of faith? Anyone in here? Don't be ashamed of the gospel. He, he, he died for us on the cross openly, publicly, because he loved us. Anyone else? Okay, as we go to a time of communion, briefly. Back in Exodus, when God delivered the Israelites out of bondage of Egypt, he had them get a lamb and shed and got the lamb. They slaughtered the lamb and put the blood of the lamb in the shape of a cross. And then the angel of death passed over everyone who had the blood of the lamb in the shape of a cross over their doorpost. And so what they would is they would celebrate Passover in remembrance of their delivery out of the bondage of Egypt, which is really out of the bondage of sin. And then on that night that Jesus was crucified, He took the cup and he said, this is my blood that was shed for you, my blood of the new covenant. Because all the sacrifices of blood, the bulls and goats could never take away sin. It was just a temporary covering until the one who could would. And then he had the bread and it was pierced and it was striped because by his stripes we are healed. And what can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so he did these elements, and Jesus said, as often as you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. And so what we're going to do as, they, as, they're, as they're passing out the elements, we're called to first and foremost to look back to the cross. And remember the greatest act of love ever demonstrated in all of human history. That Romans 5 says that scarcely would one die for a righteous man for a good man would one even dare to die, but that God demonstrated his love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we look back to that, but we also look within and examine ourselves. If there be any wicked way in me, teach me your truth. Lead me in your paths, oh dear God. Get vertically right with the Lord. If there be anything in your heart, this is the time to set it at the altar. And then thirdly, and lastly, we look forward until the time we're going to do this with Jesus in heaven, and we're going to worship Him in spirit and truth. and there's going to be no more pain, and there's going to be no more sorrow, and there's going to be no more death. And Psalm 16:11 says, we're going to enter into the fullness of joy when we're in His presence. And so now we prophesy in part and we see dimly through a mirror, but then We're going to be fully known. And so this time, that's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. Our Father and our Lord, what manner of love have you set upon us that we should be called your children? Surely there is no God in heaven above nor on earth below beside you. And Lord, if we had a million tongues, we couldn't praise you enough. But because your loving kindness is better than life, our lips shall be full with your praise, your honor, your glory. Lord, as we partake in communion and we look back at the cross, may it never be a common thing. May it never be something we just recite, but may it be something we live and remember that the cross is a, everlasting reminder that man can't save himself. The cross is an everlasting reminder that we've fallen short of your glory. But it's also an everlasting reminder that you're rich in mercy. And that while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, you made us alive. And therefore, it is by grace that we have been saved. And Lord, I pray that everyone in here under the sound of a voice would draw near unto you. The time is near. We can't wait till you come for us, O oh Lord. We can't wait till we appear in your likeness. We can't wait, Lord, till we're in the fullness of joy. May we always keep our eyes on heaven and we set our affections on the things that are above and not on the things that are here on earth. For we have died and our life is hidden in Christ. And Lord, I pray for a layer of protection on everyone here And may today be the day of salvation. We thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.